Welcome to Shanahan on Literacy, the podcast dedicated to the proposition that there's nothing more noble than to teach somebody to read. I'm Tim Shanahan, your host, and uh, today's topic is putting on your underwear first or why instructional sequence doesn't always matter. Now, this is a blast from the past. Uh, This entry first posted on March 14th, 2016, and it's being reposted on December 16th, 2023. This is a blog entry that has never before appeared as a podcast, so this is the first time anyone's had a chance to listen to this one. Now, the, the question being raised here about the best instructional sequences to use regarding the teaching of alphabet or teaching of phonics. As this blog makes clear, I hope, uh, sequences of these skills are more determined by some rather general, commonsensical guidelines that have emerged from empirical study. But there's no science of reading approved sequence that is most beneficial for learning. And if anyone is trying to sell you that, you should grab your wallet and run. Uh, Here's the question that this teacher raised. Uh, Is there a particular order in which teachers should teach the letter sounds? And my response was, it makes sense to put your underwear on before you put on a skirt, a shirt, a blouse, or pants, unless you're Madonna. Then the usual ordering of things doesn't necessarily get the job done. Madonna changed the sequence from bra blouse to blouse bra and became a star. (laughs) That she's wildly talented may have also had something to do with that. Many teachers and principals, parents and policymakers expect the proper ordering of letters and letter sounds in a curriculum to be more than a matter of convention or style. The question comes up often. I find it hard to explain to these folks that there is no research-proven best sequence for teaching the ABCs or phonics. But that is not the case. Back when the National Reading Panel report came out, and that was in the year 2000, there was a similar hubbub in Congress. The National Reading Panel report was a report to Congress about uh, uh, what the research had to say about reading instruction. The panel had reported to Congress that phonics programs with a clear sequence of instruction that's what we meant by systematic phonics, were most successful. Consequently, Congress wanted to require that everybody in the country teach phonics using that approved sequence. (laughs) The problem was that the panel wasn't touting a specific curricular sequence. (laughs) No, it was just emphasizing the benefits of a planful and planned curriculum in this area. About 18 different phonics curricula were examined in that collection of studies, and each one had its own sequence for introducing letters and sounds. And they all conferred a learning advantage on children. They all worked. Programs that had planned sequence of instruction, any planned sequence, did better than those that promoted the idea of responsive phonics, the the idea that teachers would teach the skills as the children seemed to need them. I wasn't surprised by this finding since, as a former first grade teacher, I had tried to teach phonics in a more individual, diagnostic matter, uh, manner, keeping uh, track of what I had covered with each child. It was an unholy nightmare, requiring way too much management on my part and way too little learning on the part of the kids. 
That doesn't mean that letter sound ordering should be completely arbitrary. That, that certainly isn't the case. For example, it makes good sense to offer earlier teaching of the most useful or frequent letters and sounds. Children learn such letters, including the ones in their own names, more quickly than the letters they don't see so often. It is wise to teach letters like T, H, S, N, and the vowels before taking on the much less frequent Zs, Xs, Ks. Kids can successfully learn these letters in any sequence, but teaching the most frequent ones early enables kids to read words sooner. You'll be able to come up with more words that they would want to use or that you would want to use with them. When I was becoming a teacher, there was a controversy over whether to teach consonants or vowels first. Lots of argument, not much data. Our professors demonstrated to us that if you took all the vowels out of a message, you could still read the text. So they claimed that is proof that consonants were most useful and more worthy of our early instructional attention. And in fact, many of the the phonics programs of that time, uh, the first grade programs only taught consonants, leaving out the vowels. That was a second grade issue at that time. Now, there were other authorities who would argue back that no words, uh, there there were no words uh, that didn't have vowels, and vowels had higher frequencies than most of the consonants. So they argued that vowels merited earlier instruction, and there were a handful of programs that indeed did it just that way. They spent first grade on vowels and consonants you could deal with later. (laughs) Common sense eventually won out. Instead of making it an all-or-nothing proposition, teaching a combination of consonants and vowels allows kids to read and write words earlier. If you're teaching both consonants and vowels, uh, you can actually introduce words. What I would do is teach a two, three, four, five uh, consonants and then teach a vowel. And that allows you to make up any number of three-letter words and then teach a few more consonants and introduce another vowel. And again, a whole plethora of of three-letter words all become available to these boys and girls. Still another guideline on sequence has to do with ambiguity. We should try to minimize confusion to make early reading easier. This is a very important one. Separate very similar letters. Don't try to teach them together. At one time, psychologists flirted with the idea of teaching highly similar letters together since they believed that would allow teachers to highlight the distinguishing features of those letters. So if you taught the B and D together, you could show kids how they were kind of a mirror image of each other and a reversal of each other. (laughs) But empirical studies of that wonderful idea found that it was better to separate those similar elements. Teaching them together was confusing. Don't teach B and D together or M and N. Letters that are visually or phonemically similar need to be kept apart when it comes to instruction. Teach one of these confusable pairs thoroughly before introducing its partner. A student who already has strong purchase on uh, the letter B uh, is going to be able to learn the letter D with much less confusion. Or a child who knows the, the P sound uh, well is going to be able to distinguish that better from a B sound, so I wouldn't be putting those together. Now, of course, W's are always confusing. 
Not because of their great similarities with other letters, though you could imagine kids confusing W's and M's, though I I can't say I've seen much of that in my career. Uh, But I do wish I had a nickel for every time I told a young writer to sound out W, only to get the D-D-D-W. Oh, it's the letter D. Um, uh, You know, that that kind of a sequence. So we got to be careful there. A related question has to do with capitals and lowercase letters. Which of those do we teach first? Basically, lowercase letters have greater value in reading. You simply see more of them, so knowledge of such letters is more predictive of eventual reading achievement. But kids are more likely to enter school knowing their capitals. Those are somewhat easier to teach because they're more distinctive and because so many preschool alphabet toys include capitals rather than the lowercase letters. You know, if you look at the kids' letter blocks or, you know, a lot of these computer games and stuff to teach young children uh, letters, they tend to emphasize capitals. Teaching lowercase and capitals together is fine, uh, to tell you the truth, especially for letters like C, K, M, O, P, S, and so on. These letters with the, the lowercase one is really just a miniature version of the capital letter. Now, beyond these general guidelines, the appropriate sequences of instruction for letters and sounds are arbitrary. You have a wide range of choices in how to do it or in evaluating the sequences adopted in the commercial programs that you might be considering. <laughs> However, sequence does matter sometimes. I would not send my daughters to school with their underclothes on the outside, but then they aren't Madonna. That's the conclusion of this entry to Shanahan on Literacy, putting on your underwear first, why instructional sequence doesn't always matter. This one has only a few references, but if you want to find this online, it's posting on December 16th, and it is, remember, it's a blast uh, from the past, so you look this up uh, March 14th, 2016. I would like to thank you for being with me and look forward to talking literacy with you again up the road a bit. Uh, Thanks to Greg Johnson, our sound engineer.